Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's one only of you, the Grill Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the Morning. We have with us CJ and Crypto Cowboy. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys? Doing good. How you doing? Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. I can't complain. Uh, another day. A um, little out of it. A little, little low energy today. Um, had a workout and... Um, yeah, a little, little, uh, little out of it. It's weird. You toxic male. I am. I'm sorry, guys. I was sneaking out to the gym behind CJ's back. Oh, what? That sounds kind of. That sounds kind of hoto. Well, you know. Yeah, just... Are we on YouTube, by the way? We are. Yeah. We are. <laughs> hoto we is are. hot over technical. Uh, outstanding. That's what it stands for. H O T O hot over technical <laughs> outstanding. It has to do with workouts. Yes. Wow. Nothing else. Interesting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did not, did not cover that well. So yeah, you, you're a little low energy. What did you do? Uh, did you do squats or something? What'd you do? Uh, I, I used the, um, I was using the keyboard, uh, the keyboard lift and the mouse press. Oh, jeez. It, you know, it's just a lot of finger clicking. It was, uh, that was it, man. <laughs> a little 12 ounce curl. Uh, yeah. A little 12 ounce. With the O'Douls. Now, yes. You know, I, I got hammered on O'Douls one time. It's non-alcoholic beer for those <laughs> who don't know. <laughs> so back when Adam Sandler used to do those, uh, like those audio tapes, like the old school comedians, you know, they all do like records. And Adam Sandler had some skit where this guy just kept saying how messed up he was. Oh, yeah, man, it's weed I smoked. And like, oh, that's just a bag full of pencil shavings, dude. <laughs> and he just kept like, oh, man, this acid you gave me, it got me so like, like the clouds had a vein in the man and the vein opened up and bled all over me. Like, oh, yeah, that was just like a piece of paper from my notebook. <laughs> like, it's just everything. You know, Odul's awesome. made, an, you know, Odul's was part of the joke. So that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Cowboy, lots going on. As of today, Genesis Lending is defunct. BlockFi is gone. And Gemini Earnings is gone. Uh, 3AC is gone. FTX is gone. Al Alameda Research is gone. And a few, two of my institutional partners have already put out the warning on Silvergate Bank. Uh, Silvergate Bank is a bank I warned about, like, my God, I don't know how many years I've been warning about Silvergate. The quote-unquote crypto-friendly bank. Uh, they're in deep shit. 
Um, yeah, lots of crap going on. There's, of course, market news, bond markets, uh, and then, of course, more Basel three nonsense, man. So I don't know where you want to begin, brother. Well, we'll start. I mean, look, FTX, we broke it here before a lot of places. I don't think we need to go too far into it. You know, we already know the Harry Potter chick that ran, uh, you know, three, whatever it is, uh, not three arrows, uh, that ran Alameda is just. She's a genius. I'll, I'll put, I'm going to. Oh yeah, yeah, just dude, that's the way to go. No stop losses ever. You'll you'll just win all your trades and you'll never lose. Um especially in a in a uh in a down market. But uh <laughs> so I'm going to read this off and this came from uh just one of my buddies in another group and it says in a filing and I'm starting it now. In a filing to federal bankruptcy court, John J Ray, who has helped oversee some of the biggest bankruptcies ever, including Enron's, said despite his 40 years in the business of restructuring companies he has never seen anything as bad as ftx quote never in my career have i seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here from compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration control or concentration of control in hands of a very small group of inexperienced unsophisticated and potentially compromised individuals this situation is unprecedented so what happened here i don't know i mean i i've without again i don't want to cover this too far but these guys are patsies they were basically like they're like the ukraine of the of the crypto world yeah like you know, just put against impossible odds, given like <laughs> like set up to fail. It's like it's like giving a chimp a freaking loaded gun and sending it into a crowded room. <laughs> like that's what basically just happened. Like so, you know, now we're we're going to be seeing the effects of contagion. Your just as you started out by talking about Silvergate and so on. Um, you know, there are. I mean, look, if your money's on an exchange right now, th- there's a really good chance that your money is at risk. So you need to do your own research. Um, you know, I, I can't say. I think there are a couple of exchanges out there. I've done mine. Um, you know, there's one or two that I would still use and not have a whole lot of funds on when it comes to crypto. So just understand that that if your money is on an exchange right now, go ahead and do some research, uh, do some Googling, join some forums. Uh, you know, I, I mean, technically, no exchange is safe at this point, technically, because we don't know how deep the contagion goes. Oh, yeah. And, and, and we'll, we'll just do a brief discussion of contagion. You know, because I always like to try to define terms that maybe aren't so obvious to everybody. Um, so, you know, in the healthcare world, in the viral or, you know, bacterial world, a contagion is obviously some kind of pathogen that can spread. And so you can you can catch it. And the more virulent, uh, virulent <laughs> the contagion is, the more likely it is to spread and the more deadly it is, the more uh, I can't think of the term for deadly but the more deadly it is of course more people will die um you know the flu um that one's yeah it's virulent everybody catches it nobody dies um but when you have something that like you know i don't know like whatever happened in 1918 that was virulent and killed a ton of people so in this particular case it's even worse because 
the way that the financial world is designed, especially right now with the potentially two to four quadrillion of derivatives out there, the counterparty risk is basically infinite because mm. the counterparty is non-existent. So you, what that means is that, okay, you have an underlying asset that's worth, let's just do, let's do a microcosm, right? You had a room full of 50 people, right? 10 of those people decide to trade against each other for an underlying asset of $100 each. So you have about $1,000 total of underlying asset, actual asset out there, right? But then now you that's a room full of 50 people, 10 are taken. So another 10 decide to go and borrow money and they'll bet uh, against each other, but with borrowed money so that they can actually increase the size of their bet with borrowed money. Now, leverage is great because you can say increase your wins by 10 times, but you will decrease your wins 10 times as fast too. So leverage then is something that should be isolated in an ideal situation. But the problem is that people do leverage on top of leverage. And all of a sudden you have this machine where maybe $1,000 of underlying asset is controlling $100,000 or more of risk, maybe a million. Now, this is extremely top heavy. Imagine, and this is as Jim Willie did such a great job of describing it. It's like a building and the top of the building is very large and wide and broad and the bottom of the building is super skinny. So if there's no wind, and there's no earthquakes, it can stand. But as the entire kind of ecosystem begins to shake, maybe earthquakes, maybe wind, maybe who knows what, then they start to kind of rattle and rumble, and then they fall into each other, and then they crash. And the more leverage you have, the bigger and wider the top of that building is, and the smaller the base. And I would say there's been no other time in recorded history when we have seen such a weak base and such a huge top. And if the leverage goes away, you know, if there's a major crash out there, everybody loses because the leverage goes away. We, I mean, we're talking financial Armageddon. We're talking, you know, I mean, it, it'll be everybody loses their homes. It'll be, you know, home prices go down to not very much. It'll be just, and what they're going to do is they'll rotate to a new system and they are making it ready now. Um, and that system may or may not have some controls in it. There are already systems out there as such. And I personally believe, and again, this is not investment advice. So, you know, consult a financial advisor, consult investment advisor, do your own research. You can risk, lose your money risking in a markets. But I think Bitcoin, um, maybe choices like Ripple are a good alternative um, when, you know, things kind of, if, if and when things crash, that's an option. Gold, silver, real estate, I think will do better than other things. Um, so without getting into, you know, a discussion of, you know, that kind of uh, problem. I am going to go ahead and describe this. And this came from Mark Stoneweapon. And he kind of talks about this. And, and again, V, I might, I'm going to stop after I read this, this bit of paragraph here, because I want your opinion on this. Okay. So he actually says, warring elites and the destruction of free markets is what he titles this. And he says, the outflows from cryptocurrencies have bought some time in pushing yields lower on government bonds and the eventuality of liquidity drying up in this arena results in speculative lifeline used up and consumed. Okay, so basically, uh, cryptocurrency and what's going on is going to make more traditional investments more attractive is kind of what he's saying here. 
So he asks, which asset bubble will be next for the pricking and deflating? Real estate, for the most part, has become an illiquid market. Commodities are holding a trading range due to inflation and are warring elites jockeying for access to them. Scarcities, real or manufactured, regardless. Our warring elites are also the primary drivers in rigging higher prices in most things, such as utilities, insurance, commercial rates, uh, taxes and fees, commodities, and monopolized goods and services. This leaves us with stock market bubble. Being the last major speculative lifeline of liquidity to be consumed by treasuries, which is the top floor conduit used for laundering money to government insiders. I'm going to stop here, guys and gals. I want to explain that last paragraph. Okay. So he's, he's kind of, kind of going through a list of the different, um, speculative investment, speculative and non-speculative, uh, investment opportunities out there for all of us and for the elites where they can kind of push things around and make money. All right. So when it comes to bubbles, as we know, the elites will go ahead and they will prick the bubble, they'll pop it, and everything will go back to value, actual value, or at least close to it. There will be a um, there will be a downward price discovery. There will be a compression, and then once that price discovery is complete, according to all of their information, the elite will buy it because they have the ability to print money, and they will buy the hard assets. And then we'll begin the cycle, while the hard assets kind of increase in price. Uh, you know, John Doe and you know, Jane Doe or, or just kind of or Joe Blow, whoever they are, they're all pumping 401k money into the market because they never stop doing that. And then the prices will continue to rise. And that 401k money and the, and the dumb money is going to go ahead and f- push up the market after the elites bought the bottom. And then as the market begins to get frothy, the elites will create these, you know, whiz bang um, financial products and derivatives to go ahead and really skyrocket prices all the way up. And then we have a new bubble and they prick it and wash, rinse, repeat. And they end up with all the hard assets, the gold, whatever, whatever hard asset, whatever underlying asset there is. Now, the stock market is a little different because that bubble is poppable, right? It, oh, do we lose somebody? We lost V. Yeah. Check the private chat when you get a second. All right. Let's see here. Uh oh. Okay. Well, I guess V's not going to be able to comment on this. I think he needs to take a break. Um, so he's, he's not feeling well. So I'll go ahead and explain all this anyway. So the stock market is a bubble they can pop and probably the next one that they will pop according to this person. Now, mine and V's kind of information is saying that um, we will possibly see, and this is possible, this is speculation. Please do not take this as investment advice, but... The inflation that they're engineering is going to be done, I think, in more of an orderly fashion until it's not. And I don't think that they're quite ready to move on to the next system, not just yet. I think they want one more run up because when this bubble pops, the dollar is going to lose its power in the world in a big way. It's still going to be out there, I think. I'm not saying it's going to disappear. I'm not saying it's going to die. Maybe eventually that'll happen. But I think in when the next bubble pops and it really, really, truly pops, then it's going to be a reset of the entire system. And they call it a great reset. And they're going to want that reset to happen in one particular way. I think that it's not going to happen that way. I think it's going to happen in a way that's not going to be as harmful to us. But that is the next speculative bubble that'll probably pop as the stock market. 
And when this guy says that it is the uh, top floor conduit uh, used for laundering money to government insiders, well, yeah, that's a very easy thing to do. I mean, Congress is legally allowed to inside trade because Congress people actually, you know, they're the legislators. They push policy. If they want a particular industry to see a lot of money, they can make that decision. And if they know they're going to make that decision before they make that decision, before everybody else makes that decision, they can go ahead and invest in that industry sector and it's insider trading. And so the, the stock market is the way that you now pay off politicians. You don't have to kind of you know cheat and give them money anymore. You allow them to cheat for themselves and they make it legal because everything in this country, if you're in that class, is legal. There's nothing illegal if you're in the political class or higher, right? So um, I'll go ahead and move forward here. When liquidity in stocks begins to dry up, our governments will face a much higher cost of borrowing. This is the stage where systemic failure becomes more uh, vulnerable. What I think he means to say is this is the stage where the market becomes more vulnerable to systemic failure. And our government's ability to print and sell bonds will be competing with the cost of inflation and each other. Quantitative easing will only exacerbate the consequences of this end game. Okay, so QE's wearing off and it's making things worse. That's in a short way what he just said in that paragraph. We're almost done here. It says a new era of capital and communist controls is forthcoming unless you believe our warring elites are going to give back some of their wealth to the middle class or unless enough people or states rebel and defend their freedoms to sustain a systemic liquidation and correction that outpaces the actions of tyrants. So the war game of the elites is to engineer inflation at a somewhat orderly pace where the next generation will be forced into renting what they need to live. It is our duty to collapse the system by not being reliant on it. Okay. So that's some great advice. Um, I posted that over in the discord. There are some things to go over today um, that make it so I don't want to spend too much time on this because, but this is Mark Stone weapon. He's over on uh, what do you call it on telegram uh, what's his, uh, telegram handle? It's stone weapon. That's all it is, I believe. So if you just look for stone weapon, that's one word you can find him on there. He's got great information. Uh, <clears throat> solid, uh, solid guy over there on telegram found him through uh, Joaquin Phoenix's channel. So, cool. yeah. So now the next thing we want to talk about is, uh, now, CJ, first of all, I want to hear your opinion on these things. I mean, what do you think of, of with like what Mark said and what do you think of the, uh, you know, the initial comments on contagion? I'm not sure how much they're going to be able to, to manage the inflation, um, you know, indicators that are, that are, that are popping up. Um, you know, we had, we were told, you know, that there was a lot of price gouging taking place and perhaps maybe a little bit of that, that was reflective uh, yesterday with the retail sales numbers that were released, like retail numbers were, were uh, higher than expectations and everyone was celebrating it. And so therefore to me, and, you know, and I think Gregory Man Marino, Marino also stated the same thing was that it wasn't necessarily due to higher volume. It was probably driven more off the price increases. Right. Um, so, so maybe that's why they were able to, but at the same time, target came out and said, well, look, we're, we're projecting a very bad fourth quarter, um, everything that's taking place. So, so very well, I think that obviously the Fed can uh, is going to attempt uh, to curb uh, inflation rates. Uh, will they be successful? I, I, I don't know, but, but definitely you can see what's happening, uh, not only with FTX, uh, but with the announcement 
uh, I believe it was yesterday in regards to the new digital currency that it's going to be um, beta tested and I believe 12 uh, US banks and, and also by the New York Fed. Very, very odd timing with FTX happening and then them launching that, by the way. Now, maybe they're just taking advantage of the crisis. I'm not saying they were involved with the collapse of FTX, but maybe they were looking at it as an opportune time. And I think that's what's, what we'll see is that I think they're going to have to convince people to make this shift into this next economic model that they want to to develop cowboy they have to build confidence in it they have to they have to explain the whys and and that's what kind of concerns me is that what are they willing to do in terms of disrupting certain uh, markets stock market uh, the crypto the, the cryptocurrency market in order to make people either either not have trust in it and convince people that what they're building is the next best thing. Maybe they're going to do the same thing as like Federal Reserve where, hey, look, you know, you you were involved in a crypto exchange. You you had no uh, federal deposit insurance. But this next our digital currency that we're evolving, you're going to have some of that. You're going to have some of that protection. Uh, so I think that's what they'll 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 evolve to. But, you know, again, you know, I don't have any facts about that. That's just strictly my opinion. I think I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I share that opinion. So, you know, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of logic there. I like the idea where, yeah, they, they're going to beta test it so that we can say, oh, it works. And, um, you know, I think that also, I, I think it might also not do that well. Um, although if it is the only thing we're allowed to use, then of course, then people will use it. Um, you know, and there's a lot of talk about CBDCs. Maybe I should do a whole show on that rather than delving into it right now. Um, but, you know, they're talking about programmable money. They're talking about how, you know, it, it could be programmed so that you have to spend it within a certain amount of time or it goes bad. Um, it could be such that you said the wrong thing on Twitter. So your account is not going to get its money or we're going to freeze this amount until you, you know, make amends. And it's just, there, there's a lot of dystopian Orwellian things that go about. I, I you know, do have confidence that um, as the market always does, the market will find a way around. So I'm not, I'm not as, um, <clears throat> what's the word? Uh, I don't have as dark of a view as that, as so many people do. I think those of us who have ingenuity and initiative will figure out a way around that. I think perhaps a local, um, a local solution is best in the end. I mean, for, as V said the other day for now, yes, the, you know, the people in Washington can hurt you. You don't want to ignore the Washington situation and just strictly be local but in the end i think that a local solution will be what pays off um so that's again um yeah that's another talk for another day yeah um yeah. what i'll do is as i'm going to talk a little bit about um yield curves maybe you can bring up that uh george gammon sure uh link and then uh, get that kind of queued up at i think the 23 minute mark or whatever it was um let me bring it in see right here now. yeah 36 um, minute mark yeah, so, so I'm right at 36 perfectly right there, right there, right now. Oh, nice. And then just hold off on it because I want to go okay. over um, definition before we really jump into that. Let's see here. Is this the, yeah. So I'm just sharing a screen and we're looking at Investopedia. So Investopedia is great. Um, it's, there's not a whole lot of political stuff in there. In fact, it, Investopedia, in my opinion, kind of gives a fair shake on a lot of things that would otherwise not be so fair. So I think Investopedia is a great uh, resource if you're trying to learn about investment and if you hear some kind of a, you know, financial uh, terminology that that kind of makes you go, huh? 
um, you know, all of a sudden you, you sound, it sounds like the Charlie Brown teacher. Um, so it, and if you can, <laughs> if you could bring that up, um, the screen that I just shared that way people can kind of see it. So we're going to talk about yield curves. Um, now we talked about the bonds. We, I've gone through this a couple of times. So this is going to be abbreviated. Um, the government bonds, they have different expiration dates. You got a five year, you got a 10 year, you got a 20 year. Um, and so a, an inverted yield curve has to do with the bond yields, right? So your five-year bond is going to have the same risk profile as your 10-year and the same risk profile or credit risk profile as uh, your 20-year. It's all you know, federal bonds. They just expire differently. And so the expiration date is the only thing that's going to be different. Um, it's, it's all guaranteed by the same you know, sovereign government, right? So an inverted yield curve is when short-term debt instruments have higher yields than long-term debt instruments of the same credit risk profile. So um, let's just say, let's let's break this down. Uh, let's just say you have a company and that company is, it sells widgets, XYZ company, right? And let's just say XYZ company decides to sell bonds. And so they want to they sell bonds where you're going to invest in them. And let's just say you give them, I don't know, 20 bucks. And in five years, you get back 30 bucks or 40, right? That's a meager, well, I don't know, that's actually a pretty decent return on a bond. But then they give you a 10-year and that 10-year actually is going to be higher. Maybe they give you a lot more money. The yield itself is higher. The percentage yield you get on that's higher. And then in a 20-year, they're going to actually give you a better return as well. So now, if that company is going to have a problem, right, and people have all these bonds out or they want to invest in that company, but this future is pretty uncertain, it might change to where they can't sell those long-term bonds. Or if they do sell them, they're actually going to have to have um, a, uh, a lower yield, right? So the higher yield bonds become the short-term and people are willing to buy the short-term bonds because they want to get in and out. They want to say, hey, you know what? I don't know if this cup's going to be around. Like, you know, in 10 years, I don't know, five years maybe. So the risk profile changes, and it changes solely based on the expiration date. So an inverted yield curve is when the short-term debt instruments have higher yields than long-term instruments of the same credit profile. I said that twice now. So what that means in the sovereign bond, in the, you know, the, the USD government bonds, like the 10X, 20-year, the five-year, um, we're seeing it now. We've been seeing it for a while. I've talked about this on a show. And now we're actually seeing it in a whole new way. Because there's an overnight rate that uh, that banks have, and that overnight rate is kind of like a microcosm of these bonds. You can call it a one-day bond, if you will. <laughs> it's yeah. effectively the same sort of thing. And so um, we're ready, CJ. If you can play the gamut, I yeah. want to have him yep. explain it. Okay. And the link is probably going to be available to everybody in the description and all that. Yeah, and I'll uh, once I'm done here, I'll link it and put it in the chat as well. Awesome. Fair price. Therefore, Elon Musk's wealth or his ability to continue to prop up his entire empire, including Twitter. So I want to go over to this chart. We go back to, let's say, August of this year, all the way to just yesterday's date. So yesterday, meaning November the 14th. This is a chart of the 10-year treasury, the yield on the 10-year treasury minus Fed funds, the overnight rate or now it's basically IOR. So this is the amount of interest that the Fed pays banks for holding bank reserves at the Fed. 
It's an overnight rate. It's not a 30-year rate or a 10-year rate. Why is this important? Because as of yesterday, the 10-year Treasury was trading about 3.8%, maybe 3.87% to be more specific. But the Fed funds or the IOR, the interest the Fed is paying banks to hold their money there just overnight is 3.9. So the interest rate, the overnight rate, the Fed funds IOR is at 3.9 and the 10-year treasury is trading about 3.87. In other words, under the actual Fed funds rate. So we started off with the yield curve inverting two-year, 10-year. Then we go from one year. Then it inverts with the six-month and the 10-year. And then recently, over the last few weeks, we've seen the yield on the 10-year treasury go below the three-month T-bill. But now it's even below the Fed's overnight rate. This is an extremely ominous sign. It's a huge red flag. And editor, go ahead and throw up a chart. In fact, this same chart, but going all the way back to the 1970s. And we can see that every single time we get this inversion between the 10-year and Fed funds, we get a significant recession within the next, let's say, six to nine months. So why is this so important for the share price of Tesla? Okay, you can Tesla cut it there. Into an economic okay. recession or an economic depression. Now, that's a great video because he, you know, if, if you've been listening to Rogue as long as I have, so like five years, um, there was a time when, you know, V was not a huge fan of Elon Musk. So this video outlines everything V has been saying for years as far as Elon Musk and Tesla. And he's saying that one of the major differences between Elon Musk and Sam, you know, scam Bakeman fraud is that Elon Musk did his stuff when the market and money was cheap. And SBF started everything at the end of that when then mon money became expensive and before he could actually have like a full-fledged big-time product, uh, the money got too expensive and fell apart. So, you know, Elon Musk, I don't think he made a profit on his companies until a few years ago. So he <laughs> didn't make a dime. You know, he was a carbon credits trader for a long time. Yep. Um, so sure, I like Elon. I like uh, what he seems to be doing for Twitter. But that video um, is actually a treatise on how uh, Twitter might fall apart and uh, drag down the rest of Elon's companies. It's an interesting uh, concept. I do think uh, Elon has a lot of, of um, financial armor given him by the government, especially because of his contributions with all his space, you know, stuff. And so I wouldn't be quite as concerned. Um, but yeah, and he does the math. I mean, he talks about like the price to earning ratios and even if, uh, you know, it gets cut down on uh, on Tesla. How pretty much, <laughs> if the Tesla money is not there to borrow against, then propping up Twitter is not necessarily going to happen. And Twitter might be the next FTX. So yeah. understand I, that this is. Go ahead, CJ. No, I I was going to say I don't know. <clears throat> Obviously, he sold quite a bit of Tesla stock to purchase uh, Twitter, but I don't know if they can commingle those between between the companies. Um, we you can't no. commingle, but the wealthy they use their stock as equity. So they don't necessarily have to sell stock. They can borrow against their stock. 
Now, whether or not borrowing against the stock would be allowable um, to prop up Twitter is another story. But according to George Gammon, who's he's a pretty knowledgeable guy, um, you know, he seems to think that the um, the health of Twitter, which has been hemorrhaging money for years, is going to be reliant on the rest of Elon's ability to fund that. And even if Elon's using other people's money to fund Twitter, which he basically used other people's money to buy Twitter, you know, Elon's like, hey, I'm good for it. You know, I mean, if Elon's good to borrow money, to borrow $44 billion or a big chunk of it to buy Twitter, he must be basically able to command that kind of loan, uh, borrowing power because of his assets. Mm, so yeah. in the end, whether it's direct or indirect, his assets are going to be instrumental in, in uh, the ability to borrow money to prop things up. Yep. Yep. So that's, you know, what, again, you, you're, there may be an issue with commingling. Certainly that's more your territory than mine coming from the uh, banking and regulation industry, like you, that experience you have. Um, so, you know, that, yeah, that's there. <laughs> that's a, that's a concern. Well, so, and, I mean, I what mean you... and yes. And, and the, the, <clears throat> the financial issues at Twitter are definitely a, a real thing, right. In terms of, of looking at not only what, you know, because he obviously had exposure to the books, but now you're dealing with a multitude of of how many uh, fraudulent accounts that they had or bogus accounts that they had, and then also dealing with any type of regulatory compliance that may step in in regards to you know foreign ownership of Twitter. So he's going to have to navigate through it, um, you know, carefully, and how it impacts his his other business units uh, will be very interesting to see how that that get that gets played out. Um, just especially knowing in, in regards to your right, you know, his, his, most of his money that, that was made initially was, was off, off carbon credits and, you know, Tesla didn't become profitable for, for several years. So, so it'll be interesting to see the dynamics of it, what he does with Twitter. Uh, it sounds like the, the, uh, blue check mark, uh, $8 was, was a, a kind of a, a failure. I only caught bits and pieces of it trying to understand, you know, why he was doing it. Uh, but just pure amount of the number of users on there. I think he has an opportunity to take a look at the bottom line and that's why he's trying to streamline their, their operations. It sounded like there was a lot of bloat uh, operationally within it. There was, you know, labor, labor and overheads, one of the largest expenses, you know, to a, to a company, there shouldn't be a whole lot with the tech. They don't manufacture anything that I'm, I'm aware of. Uh, so it's just basically like a, a, a monetary ad uh, revenue stream, which several uh, large, I think Eli Lilly left a few others have left that, which is, going to hurt it. So hopefully he has contingency plans uh, built into uh, to Twitter or, or he's right. They may have to end up, you know, filing bankruptcy. Oh yeah. They're, they're losing out of revenue in a big way. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a pylon, you know, people don't like what he's doing. Twitter has been the, the, the bastion of cancel culture for too many years. And so that's been taken away. And uh, you know, there's probably a lot of pressure on these companies to not let him do that. You know, so, oh, well, if, if we can't have it, nobody can. And so, you know, I don't know. It's a, it seems like he's getting a bum deal. Um, <clears throat> you know, he has, he does have a lot of pull because of Starlink and SpaceX, but you know, in the end, they could just take it from him. They can nationalize his companies in the end. Yep. You know, he, he's the richest man in the world, quote unquote, but you know, that's all based on his, uh, his stock valuations for his companies. You know, so if those stock valuations crumble in any way, then then his wealth, he, he's no longer the richest man in the world. It isn't like he has, uh, you know, $200 billion of gold sitting around. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I guarantee you, he is not, nor is anybody you've ever heard of, the richest man in the world or woman in the world. The, the richest people in the world will never know who they are. Mm -hmm, right. Um, 
you know, these are people who probably have untold riches in secret places. And it's just, you know, we're like, uh, I forget who's talking about this, but I think it might've been Velez, but I think, or it might've been Jet of all, you know, so there's the Morlock and the Eloy. If you ever watched the time machine, like the, yeah. the old school one, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, I think the Eloy live above ground and the Morlock live below ground. And the Eloy live this kind of, uh, blissful existence and they're you know they're all blonde it's like the 60s version they're all blonde and they just get fruit from the trees and you know walk around with very little clothes on and and all of a sudden you know they are hypnotized by a siren and they go into this cave and the morlock eat them and the morlock live underground and then these bestial creatures and um it's actually a pretty good um pretty good uh, uh analog to you know like the richest people in the world are probably morlocks mm. and, and they very well might be underground <laughs> yeah <laughs> it would yeah. not surprise me one bit <laughs> so um we're gonna do an introduction you can put that back up um cj i was i was ready for that okay cool um so we're gonna do an inter- introduction to basil um i know celeste uh asked me weeks ago about basil and about the BIS in particular, uh, not Basel. Basel is just the area where BIS is, the Bank for International Settlements. And then FTX happened. So that just kind of took up a lot of the news cycle. Um, I don't really think we need to talk much about FTX from here on out. Just understand that FTX does present a lot of contagion, especially in the crypto world and outside of it. So, you know, um, I did look up and uh, the BIS did make it okay. I don't know when it was. It was probably recent. Uh, it, 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 is allowing the central banks to have, and, and they write all the rules for the central banks, by the way, the, the private central banks and all the you know sovereign banks, and they are allowing one percent of assets to be crypto. So you know that just kind of tells me tells me that crypto probably isn't going to die. And you know what happens every cycle. This is my second um, you know crash of crypto. I've been around in crypto for a while now, so everybody thinks it's going to die. Everybody thinks it's going to go away. And right about that time that everybody hates it is like just a great time to buy it. Usually not investment advice, consult investment advisor. Um, But we're going to talk about Basel, which is the city where the BIS is. And there's a book. Now, the book is starting to be a little aged because they talk about like Ben Bernanke and um, all that stuff. But it's as aged as it is. It's only aged in the names. And otherwise, it's all very relevant. And this is a book written by um, Adam Libor. And it's it talks about it's the whole history of it. It's uh, 10 hours if you want to do it on Audible. Um, great book. Recommend it. The Shadowy History of the Secret Bank That Runs the World. Tower of Basel by Adam Libor. So I, I went ahead and did some excerpts because this is kind of a rather long article where they do they, they excerpt, but it would take up like the whole show. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Um, but what it, the long and the short of it is that the the Bank for International Settlements was created to um, let me see here. It was during the war, it became a de facto arm of the Reichsbank. So during World War II. OK, so it basically accepted looted Nazi gold, carrying out foreign exchange deals for Nazi Germany. And this is now I'm basically doing a, an excerpt here. Um, nationalities were irrelevant. The overriding loyalty was to international finance. The president, Thomas McKittrick, was an American. Roger Alboin, the general manager, was French. That's probably Alboin, so forgive me, I don't speak French. Paul Heckler, the assistant general manager, was a member of the Nazi party and signed his correspondences, Heil Hitler. 
Raphael Pilotti, the secretary general, was Italian. Per Jacobson, or it might be Jakobson, the bank's influential economic advisor, he was Swedish, so it probably was Jakobson. Uh, his and Pilotti's deputies were British. So you can see here that the BIS was put together basically to handle Nazi money, like Nazi looted gold from when you know, Nazis would go to other countries, take their gold, take their money, and then mm -hmm. they would use that to finance the war. And it was all cooperated with all these different, you know, British, American, Swedish. So there's no loyalty to any country. There's no concern for what the Nazis were doing. This is purely financial. So after 1945, which of course, you know, World War is ended, um, Germany is defeated. After 1945, five BIS directors, including uh, Helmar Schacht, were charged with war crimes. Germany lost the war, but won the economic peace, in large part thanks to the BIS. The international stage, contacts, banking networks, and legitimacy that the BIS provided, first to the Rush Bank, and the Rush Bank is like the Nazi bank, um, and to its successor banks, has helped ensure the continuity of immensely powerful financial and economic interest from the Nazi era to present day. Okay. okay. Now, this is an interesting setup. Um, I'll, I'll start just kind of reading it because it tells a nice story. But basically, it says here that the world's most exclusive club has 18 members. They gather every other month on Sunday at 7 p.m. in a conference room in, e, uh, in a circular tower block whose tinted windows overlook the central Basel railway station. Now, it doesn't mention this here, but also it overlooks three different countries um, from the Basel, uh, from the BIS in Basel. You can see France, Germany and uh, Switzerland. And the railway station is really convenient because all everybody can just kind of meet there by rail if they want to. So back to the uh, back to the excerpt here, it says all the governors present at the two day gathering are assured of total confidentiality and discretion and the highest levels of security. I'm um, going to skip through here. Um, the Swiss authorities have no jurisdiction over the BIS premises. Founded by an international treaty and further protected by the 1987 headquarters agreement with the Swiss government, the BIS enjoys similar protections to those granted to the headquarters of the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, and diplomatic embassies. The Swiss authorities need the permission of the BIS management to enter the bank's buildings, which are described as inviolable. The BIS has the right to communicate in code, send and receive correspondence in bags covered by the same protection as embassies, meaning they cannot be opened. So what, what that is, is that if you know anything about um, diplomats, diplomatic pouch, they call it, technically, I don't know if this really happens, but technically these guys could transport crack cocaine through the airport and they're just not allowed to open those patches in the airport. Wow. And these people at the BIS have that same confidentiality. The BIS is exempt from, at least within Switzerland, um, the BIS is exempt from Swiss taxes. Its employees do not have to pay income tax on their salaries, which are usually generous. Uh, I'll skip that part. The bank's extraordinary legal privileges also extend to its staff and directors. Senior managers enjoy special status, similar to that of diplomats, while carrying out their duties in Switzerland, which means their bags cannot be searched unless there's evidence of a blatant criminal act, and their papers are inviolable. Central bank governors traveling to Basel from bi-monthly meetings enjoy the same status while in Switzerland. All bank officials are immune under Swiss law for life for all the acts carried out during the discharge of their duties. So, okay, so we need to take a break here. Okay. This is a bank where if you work there, you pay no taxes, you have complete immunity for life for anything that you do, 
as a duty to that bank if you're in Switzerland. They can't search you unless it's like very obvious that you are committing a crime. And, you know, I'm sure that there's zero latitude on that. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't think the cops are getting a whole lot of chances to search these people. Um, it's completely confidential. Um, look, these people, they're, they're untouchable. They're like an untouchable mafia. And yep. let's see if, if I can list out some of the people who are even part of that group. Uh, it's all the central bank leaders. You know, Bernanke was, was a member, um, you know, in these like meetings, they don't take down minutes. So whatever happens in these meetings is never talked about. They might write down their own notes, but nobody takes minutes, no official minutes. Um, it's privileged confidentiality and it goes all the way back to the, uh, the bank's foundation. The, but the governors who meet in Basel every other month are public servants. They set interest rates. They decide the value of our savings and investments. They decide whether to focus on austerity or growth. Their decisions shape our lives. So in a sense, there, there's no accountability here. You know, maybe within an individual company, these banks kind of have a level of accountability, maybe. In the United States, not really, because the Federal Reserve is not federal at all. It's just a, just a cartel of private banks. So there's no real way to go after them. Not, not really. Um, yeah, as we talked about with Bretton Woods, the rule, the, the Bretton Woods was founded on the principle of gold being worth $35 an ounce and the United States would not print any more money to devalue um, that money, right? So it was hard money. And they, well, it was the United States that prints money. So the Federal Reserve was not bound by that agreement. So even in our country, we don't really have you know, <laughs> we don't really have a way to hold the Fed accountable. Mm. But the BIS, they basically control everything. And like for now, look at what's happening when you raise rates in the United States. When you raise the interest rates, you destroy everything. And around the world, you know, people's pensions are in danger of going under because we're raising our rates. And then other countries have to either print more money or raise rates of their own. And when you raise rates, money gets expensive. So you can't just continue to cram money into investments that have bad fundamentals. And even the investments with good fundamentals start to take a hit because of contagion. And in this little room that they meet and there's no oversight, it's completely confidential. They make all the decisions that lead to what's happening. So that's the BIS in a very short uh, short description right no. there. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I'll, I'll yield the floor. No, I think that was, that was awesome. Uh, great explanation. Um, I, I think somebody did somebody link, uh, this to the chat. I think hobos, I will think it, but I, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Throw up the link and that way in case people want to, uh, check out that site, uh, for themselves. Uh, but, you know, definitely um, interesting time period as we're, we're navigating uh, through this this shift that's occurring in, in real time, uh, Cowboy, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, look, Giants in the playground, like Vela says, um, you know, uh, back to Joaquin Flores, right? Like he has, doesn't, I mean, he talks about this kind of stuff. I don't know that it's what he was talking about, but in one of his recent chats, he was talking about how he used to be more of a romantic revolutionary where, you know, way, way back in the day, he wanted to change things based on revolution from the ground up in a, in a Marxist way. He was a, he was a, a communist, or at least that's my interpretation 
of what he was, uh, definitely a Marxist, according to his own, you know, what he says. But he did kind of say that as time has gone on, you know, he is more uh, interested in, you know, he, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's it's to be more pragmatic about things, to understand that the elites are going to duke it out and there's not anything we can do to overthrow them. I mean, yeah. we might have a chance if everything falls apart to kind of make our own system a bit. But I think that the thing to do is, is stay pragmatic, be on the right side of the trade and stay local. Absolutely. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, Cowboy, is, is uh, any other closing, closing thoughts uh, for today? No, it's uh, I think that's it. Just uh, I wanted to, you know, kind of make sure just a reminder that if your money is on a crypto exchange, it is at risk and it's always been at risk. But now that risk has become apparent. So, you know, if you're going to keep your money on an exchange, do your research. Um, it's not a bad idea to consider keeping only a small amount of money for trading. So that's that. Yep. That's all I got. Yep. Absolutely. I agree 100%. All right. I want to thank all of our live listeners for tuning in today, especially in the chat room. Very active chat room. Love to see that. Love to see all the comments. Uh, please do me a favor. All those that know, go to roguenews.com. Um, all of our content is published there on a, on a daily basis where you can watch replays, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, that's it for uh, today. We won't have any other scheduled uh, programs, uh, but tomorrow. And again, also, uh, get a, I got a couple of emails in regards to uh, joining the Rogue Discord. Uh, for those that are tuning in live, if you want to join the Rogue Discord, send me an email, cj at roguenews.com, and then I will send you the link to do so. So, Cowboy, thank you for a great show today, and we will do this again. Hold it next Thursday's Thanksgiving, isn't it? So we'll have to we'll have to figure something out. That's all right. Whatever works, you let me know. Okay. All right. Thanks, Cowboy. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you.